over who you are and what you've done. You are the miracle maker. You are the way maker. Lord, you go before us and you open doors that no person can shut. And Lord, when, at least from our perspective, things seem impossible, you make a way when there seems to be no way. So Lord, our hearts are just filled with gratitude over what you continue to do in and through this place. And Lord, may we just continue to humble our lives under your mighty hand so that you may lift us up in your time according to your purposes for your glory, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Now we are gonna continue this Pentecost theme because the Holy Spirit was moving and the Holy Spirit continues to move as we look at Acts chapter two. If you have your scriptures, go with me there. Acts chapter two. When you look at the disciples before Pentecost, they were very different than the disciples after Pentecost. Before Pentecost, they were characterized by fear, confusion, conflict, and despair. They're filled with fear. The the way the gospel of Mark ends, they are in fear and trembling. In John chapter 20, they have the door locked in fear of the Jews. Also, you have confusion. In Acts chapter 1, they ask Jesus, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of God? From their perspective, they thought the mission was to kick the Romans out of Israel, but the Lord had a much bigger vision, bigger plan, and that is to restore all things, new heavens, new earth, making a new people for himself. They didn't understand, and they were confused by the mission that God had given them. There's also conflict. If you remember at the end of John, his gospel, you have Peter walking with Jesus. John seems to be somewhere behind him. And they're having this conversation. Jesus prophesies over Peter to to tell him how he's going to die. And what does Peter say? What about him? Comparison. You know, there's conflict. There's things that are happening even within the life of the disciples and even after the resurrection. You also have despair because Peter is just like, it seems like he's just chucked the whole thing and he's going back to fishing after the resurrection, but before Pentecost. After Pentecost comes, the disciples are no longer seen in a place of despair, but they're walking out in victory. They're no longer beat down, but they're built up. They're no longer spent, but they're overflowing, and they go out like a thunderbolt after Pentecost. Pentecost is powerful. Pentecost means something. Pentecost for us is critical So what is it? And we need it, by the way, because there's some people in here who are living a life of despair. You're confused. You're in conflict. You're in a place of fear, maybe. You look at your own job, and you you, listen, you're just trying to get through the day. You're just trying to make ends meet. I was looking at uh, the Harvard Business Review, and they did a study in 2021 interviewing 1,500 respondents, and they found out that 89% of the respondents said that their work life was getting worse. 85% said their well-being had declined. 62% of the people who were struggling to manage their workloads had experienced burnout often or extremely often in the previous three months. And some of that might characterize your life right now. You're in a place of despair. You're in conflict with maybe a spouse, a loved one, a friend, maybe a child, or maybe with your parent. There's conflict there. There's despair. There's fear. You're, You're uncertain about the future. And as a result of the uncertainty of the future... You want to take matters into your own hands. On top of all of that, we have this great commission that says, go into the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're thinking to yourself, I just need to get through the day. How can God's mission take place in and through me? Answer, 
Pentecost. <laughs> That's the answer. Because the same stuff that the disciples had is the same stuff that we have. The same thing that allowed them to go out like a thunderbolt is the same thing that allows us to go out like a thunderbolt. Pentecost. Pentecost gives us two gifts. It gives us his empowering presence and it gives us practices for us to engage in as a people. Empowering presence and also practices. And that's how Acts chapter two is actually bookend. His presence and then the practices that he gives us. First, he gives us an empowering presence. Acts chapter two, verses one through four. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. A few observations. First, the whole coming of the Holy Spirit just didn't come down on any day. It came down, he came down on Pentecost. It was a feast, one of the six feasts that the Jewish people would celebrate, and actually one of the three feasts of which the Israelites would make pilgrimage. So even though they were scattered around the known world, this was a feast that they would all come to. So therefore, the population of Jerusalem would increase by four, five, six times. It was a feast. Pentecost literally means 50 because it was 50 days after Passover. It's also called the Feast of Weeks because if you take, it, it's, it's seven weeks after Passover. So seven weeks or seven days in, seven, in one week. So seven times seven is, okay, yeah, right, 49. And then the day after is, the day, the day after the completion of the 49 is Pentecost. That's 50. So that's why it's also called the Feast of Weeks. It's Passover. It's a day that the Israelites would come together and they would celebrate God's goodness in the spring harvest. It was also a time where they would celebrate the commemoration and commemorate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. There's all sorts of um, echoes within the scriptures on Mount Sinai that pointed to Pentecost. First, you had the people, the coming of the people of God to the Mount, Mount Sinai, just as you had the people of God coming to Mount Zion the coming of the Spirit on Pentecost. You also had the thunder that's declared when God um, comes upon the mountain. That word in the New Testament, in the in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, is glossolalia, which is the same word for tongues in Acts chapter 2. You also have on Mount Sinai the giving and the instructions of the temple and the tabernacle. On Acts chapter 2, The people are the temple. They are the tabernacle. Because what made the temple and the tabernacle significant in the Old Testament is the presence of God, the presence of the Spirit. And the people of God are living stones because we have the Spirit of God as the Pentecost fire has come. Also at the the Mount Sinai, you have fire coming down to consume an offering. On Pentecost, you had the fire coming down and resting upon the heads of the people of God. On Mount Sinai, you have Moses receiving the law that was written on stone. On Pentecost, you have the Spirit coming down and writing his law on the hearts of his people. At Sinai, you have 3,000 people that are unfaithful who are killed. On Pentecost, you have 3,000 people get saved is a response to God's gracious initiation. To put it another way, Pentecost is the fulfillment of the Sinai story. That just as on Mount Sinai, the people of God were formed, so also on Mount Zion at Pentecost, the people of God are formed. The churches come because the spirit has been given. The birth of the church comes at Pentecost. 
That's good news. Do, can anybody say amen? All right. Now, this is the most exciting part of the whole thing. It's the pre- I'm going to get to practice in just a second. I can see why on the practice you're a little bit silent. But on the presence of God, you should be screaming hallelujah. <laughs> this, thank you. this is good news. Also on Pentecost, you have the wind and the fire, which always meant God's empowering presence. With Moses in the bush that burned up but didn't get consumed, with Daniel, with Ezekiel, fire and wind, presence of God. You have fire and wind coming upon the people. So as to say that heaven is coming in contact with earth through the hearts of God's people, by the spirit of God. Heaven and earth come together because the spirit is in the people of God, the church. And this is what we need. This is who we need is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes the church the church. That's what allows us to go out into a lost, broken world, not in despair and discouragement, but like with a thunderbolt because of who he has given us in himself, the Holy Spirit. Richard Owen Roberts says, The sobering truth is that the greatest hindrance to the growth of Christianity in today's world is the absence of the manifest presence of God from the church. The Lord has been so deeply grieved by the refusal of the church to faithfully proclaim the whole counsel of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit that he has largely withdrawn from the church and left her to her own devices. We need him. We need his presence and we need his power. Now, we're taking a break from Colossians. We're going through a series on Colossians. But I find it interesting that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, speaking of Jesus, he says, he is the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form. Then he also goes on to say, and we have received his fullness. We have been filled with his fullness. How can that be? Because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we as the church have the Holy Spirit with us. And the only hope for change and, and, and transformation in the world is for the church to be the church, which means that we have the Holy Spirit, the deposit guaranteeing our salvation. This is the most important thing of the church, the presence of God. A.W. Tozer, the highest accomplishment of humanity is entering the overwhelming presence of our God. Our whole purpose of created beings is to utilize our time delighting in the manifest presence of our creator. It's the reason why we come to church. When you woke up this morning, did you wake up saying, oh, praise the Lord. I get to go to church and encounter the presence of the Holy Spirit with the corporate body of Christ called the church. And yet that's what we get to do. Now, let me ask you, okay, when you give your life to Jesus, I'm gonna ask you a question. Is it this or is it that? When you give your life to Jesus, are you giving the Holy Spirit a the deposit guaranteeing your salvation or... Do you continue to grow in the influence of the Holy Spirit, growing and maturing in him, being continually filled with him, with his presence, with his power? Which is it? Yes. If you've been with us like eight weeks, you know the answer to any of those questions is always yes. (laughs) Always. When we come to know Jesus... We receive his Holy Spirit, deposit guaranteeing our salvation, and we continually are getting filled with his power, with his presence, always. Uh, Nikki Gumbel uses the illustration in being filled with the Holy Spirit like a pilot light. When you give your life to Christ, you know, the, the flame is in there, yeah? But what happens in the furnace when it's cranked on and the gas hits the flame? We have the Holy Spirit and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. I love what Jim Elliott prays. This is, this is one of his prayers. 
He says, am I ignitable? God, deliver me from the dreaded asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of your spirit that I may be aflame. He has promised baptism with the spirit and with the fire. Make me thy fuel flame of God. Make me all flame. And it's like anything in a a relationship, in in a marriage. I mean, my wife and I, we just didn't get married and say, okay, that was great, see you later. We're gonna, we're gonna be married, but in you know, separate parts of the country. Now, you get married, you have a wedding, you have a marriage. And what does it mean to be married? It means that you have a one-time event, the wedding, but then you're continually being filled with that person. That in, the influence of the other person is coming into you even as the influence of you is coming into them. What's happening? You're being filled with them. The Holy Spirit isn't in it. He's he's the third person of the Trinity. So to be filled with the Spirit means to be filled with him, filled with his influence, filled with his power, filled with his presence. So that's the first thing that Pentecost gives us. It gives us his empowering presence. But second, second, we get the practice, practices of the people, the people of God. He gives us practices. Verse 42 through 47. They They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. He mentions four things, and it really becomes paradigmatic for the rest of our life, for all of our life. Four things that take place within the context of a worship service. First, you have community, fellowship, but then you also have the breaking of bread, you have communion, you have the teaching of God's word, and then you have the prayers. Those are the four, that that becomes a lens by which we see all of the rest of our life. That all of our life is characterized by community, fellowship, loving one another. What does Martin Luther King call it? The beloved community. In a world of hate, we're a community of love. In a world of isolation, we are a community that does life together, that we're with one another. We're continually sharing our burdens with one another, encouraging one another, loving one another, laying down our life for one another. Community, fellowship. Also with the breaking of the bread, Christ's life was broken for us, given to us, so we, our life is broken for the life of the world that we live our life in radical sacrifice, radical hospitality, radical generosity, not holding on, but giving out. Also teaching that daily, weekly, we're, not only, we're submitting ourselves under God's word. In a world that has been given over to lies, we stand on the truth. In a world that has been given over to deceit and death, we stand on the word of God that gives life. It takes place on Sunday but it becomes paradigmatic for all of our life. And we need both of these things coming together, not only his empowering presence, but also practice. Presence, practice, coming together. When you bring empowering presence with the practice, what you have is a gospel movement. Now, sometimes when I quote like Dallas Willard or Robert Mulholland, some of you are like, yes. Mm." Some of you, when I quote Charles Finney, Or John Wesley, you're like, yes. They're not mutually exclusive. 
We need power, what Finney preaches. We need practice, what Dallas Willard writes about. We need his empowering presence, and we're called to engage in the practices, practices that form our hearts and shape our lives. If you look at Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 42, there's an interesting word he begins this little section on. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This word devoted literally means to remain in, to persist in. It's speaking of regular habits throughout our life, no matter how small or seemingly unimportant they are, that when we engage in these habits over the course of our days, our weeks, our months, our years, these habits have a way of forming us into the image of Jesus giving us life in him. That's the power of habits. That's what they do. They take what is true of us, the fact that we've been created in his image, and we form, we, we form all of this power, all of these resources in practice, and it actually shapes our soul. There's a great book that I've reread actually a couple times. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he talks about habits can come from one of three places. The outer place is actually the most durable, and it's when our focus is on, on outcomes. If, the, if we engage in a practice or a habit that is purely just based on outcomes, it's wobbly. It doesn't last. Um, I work out at Choose Fitness. January 1st, the machines were packed. <laughs> May 27th, I had my pick of any machine that I wanted in the entire place. <laughs> What's happening? When we focus on the outcomes of writing a book, of losing weight, when we focus on the outcomes that's not strong enough that allows the habit to have any kind of dur durability. Also, the second layer is process. When we try to engage in new routines, a new workflow, rearrange our life in such a way to, kind of, to try to get a different outcome, that's also not significant enough or durable enough to be long-lasting. A habit has to come from our identity, come from who we are. Who are we? We are sons and daughters of the king. The Heavenly Father has called us to be kings and queens, princes and princesses, to rule and reign with him. We're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. You know, we are adopted into his family. We're united to Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We're seated with Christ. This is our identity. And it's out of the identity of his empowering presence inside of us and how he's made us and remade us that it's out of that identity that then we then form habits. Habits come out of our identity and the habits that we engage in reinforce our identity. What are those habits? Community, the word, prayer, generosity, giving, feasting at the table. Those are the habits that we are called to engage in. And no matter how seemingly unimportant or small, they seem in the moment. You, 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 you read the word. It's not like any time you have a quiet time, it's like, that was the best thing ever. I'm completely changed and transformed. But I tell you what, you do that over the course of weeks and months and years, we will be transformed. But we're called to bring these two things together. Presence practice. What, if, you, if you were to look at a spray bottle, if you just have it in the mist setting, it just goes whoosh, whoosh. You have content, but it's not focused. It's whoosh. Put it on the stream setting, it's whoosh. Content, purpose, practice. That's what God has called us to be as a church, not <laughs> That's what happens when you bring these two together. Presence brings power. Presence brings revival. Renewal, we need it. Presence brings intimacy. We need it. 
Presence brings the breaking addictions we needed. Presence brings passion. Practice brings formation. Spiritual formation. Practice brings perseverance. Practice brings maturity. And when we bring empowering presence with the practices that God has given us as his people, you bring those two together. What you have is a gospel movement. That's what we are called to be as a church. Nothing less. The mission is clear to make disciples of all nations. And the only way that we can accomplish this mission, going out into the world like a thunderbolt, presence, practice. That's the gift of Pentecost. Let's pray. Thank you.